Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. No, um, I don't want to give away, I don't really have a secret to my sauce here or anything, but what, uh, I don't really like doing pre-interviews. I know some people do like that, but I feel that the conversation is more authentic if we just go at it, like, you know, we're meeting up at a coffee shop or whatever. And I want it to be like, we're sitting down and what we would be talking about at a coffee shop, at a bar or wherever. And then it's so entertaining that you know when people are listening to it it's like they're in a room with us and it doesn't sound rehearsed and you know it sounds like you know it just it goes with the flow better in my opinion now, does that make kind of sense well it makes a ton of sense because it's happened to me twice where we left the best interview on the table and we hadn't hit record you know and the second the second run through was like ah oh, that's not fresh anymore like it, it's uh we miss we missed the gold is back there you know <laughs> there's a there's a magic to this thing that i like you know it's a little dance you know we're feeding off each other i'm feeding off what you're saying you're feeding off what i'm saying and you know we're going back and forth and it's in real time and you know people you know say things out of you know context or say things kind of dumb like i've said plenty of stupid things on here and but it that's natural you know it's authentic you know it's the art of conversation i guess if you call it art you know i think that's one of the beauties of podcasts is actually making those mistakes and then going through whatever it is you think, you know, your perfectionist brain has you going through. And then you just go, oh, OK, well, we'll just leave that one out there. And and guess what? You know, the world didn't stop. And I guess I just keep going. And every now and again, someone starts laughing. It's like, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> I guess I can laugh at myself a little here, too. And that's, you know, and that's what I like about it. You know, you think out loud, you, you know, form ideas. And I guess when you bounce ideas off one another and you know, some magic happens and all of a sudden you're flowing, you're going with something and things that, you know, I normally feel like I would never think of, or, you know, uh, something that you may have said, like resonates different with, you know, one of my own ideologies, I guess you could say that's like, Oh, you know, that does make a great point, you know? And it's even if later on in the conversation, if we find something that we both don't agree on or whatever, you know, 
<laughs> and, and, you know, you and I don't, you know, start getting mad and throwing, you know, you know, pins or throwing shit at each other. You know, we actually can sit down and talk about it in the civil debate, you know, adult conversation. What can we do over Zoom? We can't even do any of those emojis like you can do on, uh, you know, Facebook. I can't put like an angry dragon face on you or nothing like that, right? <laughs> Video uh, version. So I guess, you know, if we just start pointing at each other, flicking each other off. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess that's enough about that. So, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, like I was saying, I really don't like doing introductions, but I guess, you know, you should probably give a little bit of background so people kind of know a little bit about your background and that way we can kind of take it from there and make this party happen. Yeah. I mean, what, uh, so my name's Mike Hines and these days I'm an executive coach. I've recently released a book called the myth guided mind and it's how to unleash your inner genius, your God given genius rather at work and at home. That's available on Amazon. I'm uh, 20 years, give or take 21 years as a psychotherapist. I no longer do that. I've also been a butcher, I've been a mortgage broker, banker, um, did some pallet racking, shelving, painted houses, you know, you just about you name it, I've done it. Um, and I just, I just kind of love life and I'm curious by nature. And I think one of the things that got me into helping people and just, it was doing, you know, now that I'm doing podcasts, like, oh, I get to do this. And like lots of people listen in now, but I just love talking to people. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun, you know, and, you know, that's one of the things I love about podcasting, you know, and I've been doing this about a year and a half now, over a year, year and a half tops. And, you know, it's like a self-education for me, you know, it's you know, kind of what I was saying that, you know, I'm learning from you and learning, you know, you know, just half of what you said, like, I don't even know what a psychotherapist is then, but it sounds yeah. like, but you, you just, you, it sounds like you had a lot, you've worn a lot of hats and you've gained a lot of great life experiences. Some probably good, some, something bad, but you know, you learn a lot in what you do in life, you know, and that's one of my biggest things for success is that like we were saying, or we were both were saying that we make mistakes on podcasts, or whatever things we say and stupid things, you know, I know, yep. one, you know, I've mispronounced things or whatever, but you know, you learn from them and you're like, Hey, on the next podcast, I want to do that. I've learned my mistake. I'm going to fix it on the next one, you know, Help my game. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, so what, so what is a psychotherapist and why so many hats have you worn? I mean, is it just like you said, you're curious in nature and you just wanted to bounce around a little bit and see, you know, I am curious in nature. And I was one of those kids, uh, I was in a gifted program as a kid. So I'm like a bright guy and always kind of thinking and, you know, some of those things, of course, loved sports. I was more interested in being fast than I was at, at you know, like anything school wise, but, um, you know, learning came easily to me to a great extent. Um, and then, you know, some stuff happened, some stuff happened in my family. There was a tragedy, um, to a relative and it, it kind of altered my life course uh, in high school. And so I started looking into ways that, um, you know, I mean, basically it was to recover from grief, how to do some self-improvement. Uh, I was really busted up and it's like, okay, how do I actually put the pieces of myself back together? And, you know, we're talking late 1980s. There wasn't a lot of that around. There was one kind of crystal store. I live up in Toronto, Canada. Um, and then there were a couple of, you know, sort of specialty bookstores and you just had to go to them and, and search around and find people. Uh, therapy, you know, I said psychotherapy, it was, it's, it's basically the talk therapy. So, and I mean, these days, uh, people going to their psychologist, going to the, you know, going to therapist. Uh, I, I've changed lanes and I'm over um, on the executive coach and the personal coaching side of things because I really kind of 
recognized in the last couple of years, lots of people are having issues, but they aren't like serious mental illness issues. These are regular people who've just had a hard time because of everything going on in the world. Just because of the pandemic and life events and yep. I think social media too is because I've been reading articles and a couple of books that say how, you know, social media has impacted, you know, I guess the, uh, the growing up of children right now. There's a lot more mental illnesses now just because of social media compared to before the internet, you know? That's kind of cool. So I, uh, on LinkedIn the other day, I was commenting on one of these articles from the Atlantic One of these very, I guess we read some of the same things. So who knew, right. And, uh, <laughs> and it's like, Hey, is social media ruining a generation? And it was really interesting. I, you know, I commented and said, Hey, you know what, it's, it's really having an impact things like we know since the invention of the smartphone anxiety is up and there's no proof that it's because of the smartphone. We know that, you know, people who, kind of, you know, the Gates family and Steve Jobs family, like those kind of, their kids don't get to use phones until they're 12 or 14 years old. They have family rules around this. And yet everybody else has their kids on them from like three years old and five years old. And um, I follow, uh, you know, Scott Galloway and he's right on CNN talking about how this is a big issue and we need to, Instagram in particular, age gate it. So you shouldn't be allowed to use Instagram for, I think he's thrown out the number 18 years old, much like alcohol. Interesting. So social media past couple of years saved lives. It's, it was people, you know, and what we're doing now, we're sitting here on Zoom and we're talking and we're different parts of the world, not that far, but it's eight hour drive because I've been there. <laughs> so it's connected the world, but too much. Um, much like anything is, is you can't, you can't ever have, you know, of enough of something you don't need. If you've gotten a, a substance that's addictive by nature, it never fills you up. You know, I like what you just said about, you know, how Gates family never were only like letting their children use it at a certain or a certain age or whatever social media. I read the book addiction, but I think it was Adam Alter. And Basically, like you know, when Steve Jobs and I guess Bill Gates and who you know designing all this technology, they in like the first chapter, you know, he stated that you know they didn't want their children even using the devices. You know, yeah. they knew exactly how addicting it was, and that you know, and I don't know if it impairs the uh, formation of the brain at that young age, just because you no, know, I don't think the frontal lobe is actually developed for I know for men in like tw I want to say mid twenties, late twenties. Mid, early to mid twenties for the most part. Yeah. So, and you know, and I've spoke about it before on here, folks. So I don't want to. Sorry again if I'm saying it, but you know, what kids are you know you give them a tablet or a phone, and what they're pulling up can just be I don't want to say you know life altering or scarring for life, but you know they see something you know like porn, and then they're like, oh, this is what love is. This is what a relationship is, and it's like, ooh, you know, I guess it's a matter of opinion, but obviously. I think most people wouldn't want, you know, a young child looking at that thinking like, oh, this is how you love somebody growing up. And, yeah. you know, I guess, and, and I like, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. And, but I like how you do say age gated, but it's kind of, it feels like it's kind of tough to do that, you know, especially when, you know, they see mom and pop on social media, just as addicted as anybody else, you know, that, but I, you know, and also I do get it that, you know, you give your child a tablet or whatever, and they'll shut up and go sit in the corner and watch a movie. And then, you know, families can go do whatever they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and I mean, it is one of those things, you know, am I going to be a naysayer and say, Hey, you know what, we should, we should 
cut off all technology. But I'm not that way. But, you know, if you want to know anything that about me, I'm always going to be on the side of human connection first. We've got to have kind connection um, so that our kids, if they come across something like that, that we think is totally inappropriate, they can come and say, hey, mom, hey, dad, uh, I found this. And it's like, OK, I guess we're having that conversation now. <laughs> Give me that thing. <laughs> what happened to the child settings I put on there? And, you know. <laughs> You know, I read uh, or I heard it on a podcast, but, you know, you know, children get sneaky, you know, especially, you know, when, you know, you're trying to cheat, especially, you know, when you had to learn over Zoom and everything that there's ways to actually get a second laptop or, you know, and I don't even know that during classes now that, you know, if you can even have your phone out during classes, you know, I think, you know, when I was in college, I think nobody really cared, but I know it was kind of said that if you were, if you did have it out, like kind of just put it in your pocket, whatever, but that was really before, I think that was probably right when the first iPhone came out. I think it came out in 06, maybe 05. But still, nobody had Instagram. Then. I think Facebook was just coming out. Yeah. Usually, you were just waiting for text messages from one of your friends other than that, which was more rare than usual. I guess back then, people still called each other. But, you know, I liked, I guess my point is, I like what you said about human connection. Do you think that goes back to, you know, way, like, I don't want to say tribal or, you know, primitive instincts, but, you know, before social media before technology before screens you know that's what people did you know we sat around we talked you know we we had and not we i didn't i was not there but we you know we had these discussions just like you and i are having now over you know food or over a drink and just you know you didn't have screens to distract you you could actually just form out ideas and talk and you know it was part of like storytellers you know you had a guy that could tell a story in your town and you would go to him and even though half of it might not be true or whatever but you had those connections you know and it was it bonded people yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those things that's uh, it, it is being preserved. I mean, there's whole podcasts on doing this well and all kinds of things now. But I do believe that it is about that human connection. And we're still kind of wired for for Stone Age, you know, like our biology, um, all the studies on, you know, neuroscience and psychology. They're all saying, hey, you know, um, all, we've got all these unconscious biases. And the more they look at it, it's like, hmm we're not actually wired for, for the fast paced tech and the speed of information that comes at us. And so advertisers know this um, and they can, they can trick us you know, basically. <laughs> um, and, and it's, you know, it's a new thing. Like we are desensitized. So we're smart people and, you know, but there's, there's stats to say you got a thousand messages a day that come at you for, for branding. Some, I even heard as high as 10,000. I guess that depends where you live and how much you're you're kind of scrolling. That's a lot to just kind of turn off and tune out and desensitize. And so you can you can walk around, you know, rather than having like what you're just describing, where there's this connected community. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I live in a big city and half the people you're, you you kind of meet here are from somewhere and it's a small town. It's like, oh man, I had to get away from that because everybody's up in your business all the time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you know. I grew up exactly like so i don't know if we always just want that thing that we don't have but it you know there is a reality that um our stories used to connect us um when we had something big happen in our lives we could you know kind of come together and say hey what happened to you today and so oh well you know i was out in the field and this happened and now you know the plow's broken and i don't know how to deal with it and next thing you know it's like the neighbors are gonna help you a bit and you know <laughs> I, th I think you know it's a lot of these times that like life was hard too like we do have it easy right yeah, it's one of the best times to be alive you know uh i'm reading yeah. 
uh, that somebody sent to me because I'm going to have him on a podcast later. But he actually was talking about how we live in apocalyptic times right now. I was like, well, I see what you're getting at just because of like what you touched on earlier, you know, the pandemic. And now we have the Ukraine and Russia war. And, mm-hmm. you know, before that, it seemed like every month, new month, there was something new going on. That was a major life event. But, you know, as far as apocalyptic times, I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, that's like you said, this is probably one of the best times to be alive right now. You could go outside and be hit by a bus and your chances of living are actually pretty good compared to a hundred years ago, you know, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, or if you know, you get, you know, a snake bite or whatever, you know, you're pretty much okay for the most part, you know, yeah. but tech, you know, and, you know, and I don't, don't want to shit all over technology, but that's one of the advances in civilization is with technology. And while we're able to live, you know, have better, longer, faster, healthier lives, I guess. And I don't know about faster if it said that, but yeah. Yeah. And I, and I mean, it's huge. And, uh, you know, especially you see some of the stats for men, you know, the, the age that we can live to is going up and up and up. Um, a lot of guys just be dead, dead of a heart attack, 56. Like that was it, you know? And then it's like, we started to live long enough so that we could start dying of cancer. And it's like, okay, we're starting to get a hold of that one. Right? <laughs> because that, that was pretty rough as well. She's like, still dying too young, you know? <laughs> and, and then, you know, it's like, okay, so we've got other things. And, uh, but quality of life starts becoming an issue, right? Cause you know, we don't have kind of these extended families where, um, and it's different, depends on culture and where you live, but you know, where, uh, grandma and grandpa still live in the same house or in the next house over. And so there's lots of back and forth and, uh, things like loneliness in, in the elder years are now an issue, but that's because we're solving some of these, you're already dead. Um, and we're doing it with technology and medical advances. So it is one of those things where, yeah, we've done so much, right. And then guess what? You know, once, once you conquer one battle, it's like, you know, life gives you another, right. I mean, I think that was one of the issues with, you know, and I mean, I don't know if you want to call it an issue, but one of the problems in the pandemic, you know, and I know I kind of resonate with this, that, you know, life is going so fast and we're moving day by day by day, you know, with screens. And like you said earlier, you know, you know, we almost have information overload with our brains every day. You know, it's almost like a computer. We're getting so much into our brains and all of a sudden it just feels like it's just going to, our brains is going to slow down or it's going to snap or whatever. But I guess my point is that, you know, once, you want to say life halted once they were saying no you got to stay in you can't really go out or you're quarantined and which i you know i i was very fortunate during the pandemic you know i was still able to go to the gym i still went to work and i feel like the only thing that changed with me is that i had to go put on a mask you know anywhere but you know my my point is that you know life halted and they're like oh wait i have to stay in this house all day you know and i am pretty lonely you know and it's like "Mm," you know i'm not as my mental health or my even my physical health, I'm not as you know as healthy as I thought I was. I think I was just going on day by day by day, just going with the flow of time and you know with my friends and just going at life, just whatever fed me. But thinking everything was okay and never really stopped to think about, hey, am how am I? Am I really okay or am I living the life that I want to live? You know, does that kind of make sense? Oh, that makes huge sense. And I mean, I know like I was talking to people about their mental health on a daily basis at that point. And I really saw firsthand, like some people just crashed and then other people, you know, I mean, I was, you know, I've got a friend who's a, a lawyer and he's a divorce lawyer and it's like, just called him one day shortly after and he called, called me back kind of things. It's like, how's your business? And said, I said, 
you know, business is absolutely booming, but I'm a bit worried. And he says, I was like, how's your business? He says, I got so much business. I'm going to have to hire new people. Right. So yeah. the, the catastrophes of sticking two people together or, or one person by themselves created all these mental health issues. And I started looking around like, is the world ending? And it wasn't. And there were a lot of people and we saw this, you know, in some of the, the stock prices um, that just went sky high. And a lot of people's lives did that. And I was somewhere in the middle, you know, like early on the pandemic, I was like, okay, bars are closed and everything's closed. And next thing you know, it's like craft breweries do home delivery. It's like, you can buy that by the case at your door. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and I realized, well, that's the pathway to end up, you know, in Skid Row if I stick with this one. <laughs> like, well, but what am I going to do with my spare time? And and I did look around, and there was, you know, groups of people kind of in the middle, and there were these other people, and just saying, "Wow, you know what? Like, my marriage has never been better. Uh, I get to spend all this time with the person I love the most in the world, and we're doing these uh, hobbies, and you know, gardening and redecorating the house." And so their life scores were going up and up and people were saying that about their work. And so I was kind of like, I need to do more of that. I need to get the benefits out of all this spare time that I have. Cause it could make you crazy if you didn't think of something. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, you realize that, you know, some people always have finding excuses that I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to start a new hobby. And, you know, just because, they, you know, they do have a lot of stuff going on. But, you know, when life came to that hole, people could actually figure out, hey, I have so much extra time now. I can use my time for something that maybe benefit me, you know, and like something that I've always been wanting to do. And and I get it. You know, some people don't like to start new things because you're going to suck at it. You know, George, what Jordan Peterson said, says, you know, you're going to look mm-hmm. like, you know, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to look, you know, look terrible at something the first time they do it. That's why they never do it. But that's part of it, you know, and you just got to accept that. And. You know, I feel like if more people would learn that, that that's going to happen. I mean, you know, just you know, like this, me starting a podcast. I knew the first episodes and stuff. And even now, it's probably going to be me be trash, you know, but it's like we're (laughs) (laughs) we're being trash together. It's all right. (laughs) We're killing it, man. (laughs) But no, that's the whole point of it is that, you know, you put in your what do they say? You put in 10,000 hours to become good at something or become a master craftsman or whatever. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in you get in, you get what's the saying you get out of it, what you put into it or something. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I picked up uh, writing this book. I'd wanted to write a book for a better part of a decade. And I think, you know, there's just something about blocking off the time. And for me, I needed help. I actually needed, you know, to hire someone who was really much better at being an editor and really understood how to publish and, you know, to help me with some of the, the writing in and of itself. Like I had to take the time to really sit, make a plan, I had to get honest with myself. I would have just kept procrastinating forever. So that became my pandemic project is like, can I get this done? And well, you know, when I got the team in place, it was done in three months because um, it was all rattling around in my head. It wasn't like I'd just decided and never done anything. I'd been reading books and researching for years and years. So you and yeah. The start What's that? that? You basically wrote it, wrote it in your head already. And so then you just started putting it on paper. 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, I used a ghostwriter and what that, what that process was is uh, talking just like this and they take you step by step what happened in your life and and they say oh you missed a spot over here what happened there and it's like oh that was a juicy detail you know I was like I'm blocking that out no 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 that's what makes it authentic you got to tell those things and like you know. <laughs> so for two you're wanting to write this book and then you kind of just decided to do it and it was a pandemic project yeah, yeah. so and I mean, then for those 10 years you just decided that you just weren't ready yet. You just didn't know how to write it yet or, or what? Oh, and then I fell in love and then we had a kid and then I needed to work more. And then it's like, <laughs> so every year there's another excuse, right? I know how it goes, man. There's always a thousand excuses to say no to something, but you know, um, but yeah, but you know, and, and I can't speak to that because, you know, I don't have any kids and I'm a single man. I just got two dogs, which sometimes you see them in the background here, but um <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I can put a little bit more time towards certain projects, you know, and you know, when I'm not, you know, doing this, you know, I'm able to work my full-time job and then still I go get my, you know, I'm a CrossFitter. So I get to go give them my training and all that. And yeah, it's also time management too. You know, I mean, you know, I try to treat this like I would anything else that, you know, like I just said, I, I, if I keep putting more into it. I want to get a lot out of it, you know, and, and, you know, and I'm not trying to say like, oh, I want to get paid doing this, but just the self-education and getting to talk with people like you about your life experiences. And mm -hmm. that's so nice. And you just learn that, you know, hey, you know, there's other ways and alternatives to life and not just the way you're going. Or for me, not the way I'm doing my life might not be the best way. And you learn from other people and like, hey, you know, that was a great idea. You know, you know, you know, Mike had tonight or whatever, you know, I'm glad I learned something. Else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's funny, you know, when uh, like one of those things that was stopping me is it was hard. And um, I don't know, about 15 years ago, I started uh, high intensity strength training. And the only thing got me into it is I'd been sitting basically for a living and I'd been doing that for about 15 years. And by sitting so much, I gave myself a back injury. I, I literally had, you know, the sitting disease that we talk about people getting now. and. Uh, I was on my way home from vaccination. I ran into my trainer and, you know, he'd been shut down and back open and then shut down a long time. And I just told him what's going on in my life. And he said, dude, you gotta write a book. And it was like, it meant something different from him because I was accustomed to going in. And I mean, I don't know if you know that style is in the super slow protocol and um, Ken Hutchins and so on and so on. But I mean, you go from one machine to another, you're done in 18 minutes. Cool. Like you go to exhaustion on, you know, leg press and then you move over to, you know, like the bench press machine and you're cooked and your body is still cooking for, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours later. Sometimes you don't sleep at night because you're just still buzzing. <laughs> Sometimes you'll sleep like a rock and you're out for 14 hours. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's like, I don't know how I didn't connect that I learned to do this really hard thing, took control over my physical body, uh, effectively rehab myself out of the back injury. And then I found out, I was like, oh, yeah, there's that knee injury from soccer. And there's that football injury in your shoulder. And there's this other one, you know, who knows how in your wrist. I mean, he went through my body and he says, like, you're a wreck. You know, your body's like an 80 year old and you're, you're not even 40, you know, like. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and it was neglect right yeah 
But that was that thing like you were just talking about of pick something hard. I was terrible at it at the beginning. Like absolutely terrible. I was too embarrassed to go to in, into like a regular gym, which is why I want the private studio. It was like, okay, nobody's going to see me here because you know I don't want to be seen as weak as, as I actually am. Yeah. <clears throat> and it stopped me, right? You know, a lot of people don't like that just because, you know, what you just said, they don't, you don't want to seem weak. You don't want to seem, you know, the, uh, the black sheep of the gym, I guess you could say. And just like everyone, you think everyone's taunting you or whatever, but you know, I, you know, it's, it's, it's shitty. And it's like, you know, with body shaming and stuff like that, you shouldn't do it to people, you know, even if they are in a gym and maybe they're, 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 they're day one, even though I'm at, you know, my day 365 or whatever, everyone's got to start, you know, yeah. I go back and remember, you know, those days and just like, Hey, you know, you used to be that guy, you know, you were the day one guy looking like an idiot, not knowing what machine to go at or whatever. And, you know, and I, and I, and I feel like this is definitely easier said than done, obviously. And it's just hard for people to get over that stuff. But, you know, and like you said, challenges and stuff. And I, I, I really feel that you just should always be challenging yourself in some way in life, you know, just trying on a new, even and it doesn't have to be lifting or anything. It could be writing a book. You know, that's one thing I've kind of always had in the back of my head that I would like to do, but I never did. And just because, you know, after my master's degree, at one point, I was like, oh, I think I want to get my PhD. But people were telling me how hard dissertations were and stuff like that. Story, I'm sure. Right? Yeah. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do it. You know, I don't want to take the time. And also, there were some other couple other things. Like, I didn't know if a PhD would actually benefit me. But that's neither here nor there. But my point is that, you know, challenging yourself and rising up to the, the occasion, the standard. Rise yeah. The moment. Both. Yeah, okay. Sometimes I feel like I say things like, wait, was that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and you made up. You find out like, hey, I can do this shit. You know, even if it's just something small, even you know, you just go take a lap around your neighborhood. And you just do it one time, and then you know, hey, two days later, I'm going to do it twice. Then you know, yeah. I'll do it three times. You know, and I'm not saying go in there and start picking up two twenty five and go crazy, but but yeah, even if you and if you want to write a book, and I've never, you know, I've only written papers and stuff like that, but you know, some of the stuff I write is dog shit. You know, it's just trash. And then, but. You keep doing it, then the next day it gets better. You know, it's just kind of what I was saying earlier. The more you do something, the better you get. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's kind of funny because this topic of mastery and we're we're kind of danced around it. I follow a guy by the name of Cal Newport. And, you know, again, he's got some of these lots to say about tech and but he's a computer programmer, yeah. um, computer science professor, actually, and also, you know, award-winning author and bunch of other things and people say how do you have time to do all that like you work 24 hours a day he's like no no i i block my time and i especially make sure that i have you know two three hour blocks where i have nothing else and i can do full concentration and i actually have to you know he says i either have to kind of work out theorems and create proofs or i'm working on you know a writing project and I have to allow myself to get into a distraction-free state where I can do deep focus and be highly productive. Well, that's a huge piece of what mastery is all about. Yeah. And in our distracted world, we tend not to give ourselves those things. You know, we try and multitask and do this thing and that thing and the other thing. And I wonder if in the next three minutes I can get this thing done. Well, you kind of can. But if you have anything important to do, you need to set aside big chunks of time. Mm-hmm. And some of it's just let your mind wander time, but that's where all the creativity is. Yeah. 
you know, you got to go for a walk and then you come back and it's like, you try again. It's like, mm, that didn't work. Maybe I'll try the shower. I get good ideas in the shower. You go for a shower. <laughs> you, know, it's like, <laughs> you do all these other things that, you know, kind of help you stimulate um, sort of that lateral thinking and, and the stuff that comes out of left field that do produce the good ideas. So, you know, uh, the, the next thing that you write isn't dog shit or you take that thing that was and it's like, I, there's, there's good ideas in there, but I just have to rework it. I have to edit it. I have to take another stab at it. You know, speaking of that, I think this is kind of a random fact, but um, I think Stephen King actually doesn't remember writing Cujo. I think he wrote Cujo, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's make sure I remember. Like, again, I want to make sure. I need a fact checker here. You know, hey, can you look at it? Because <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, I think he was either, you know, he locked himself away in some cabin or whatever, but I think he was, you know, doing cocaine and just drinking the whole time. And, you know, part of him, and like, that's why he don't even remember writing it. And wow. I'm pretty sure I've heard that that's true. You now I'm probably, I want to say like 96%. Right. <laughs> and so it's just like, but I think, you know, speaking of creativity and walking around though, that's what, mm, that's what sparked his creativity was actually putting his mind into a different, uh, and impairing his mind to a different level, just with alcohol and cocaine. And just, that's how he unlocked his creativity, you know? And, and I've noticed that too. And, you know, if you have a couple of drinks, you notice you, you know, I guess, you know, your judgment gets altered and you have different ideas and say things, obviously say things you wouldn't do, but that's part of, and I'm not advocating you should, if you want to go write a book or do anything, you should go out and drink. I can tell you for a fact that would not work on me. (laughs) Drunk ideas have never gotten me anything brilliant. Let me tell you. But, uh, but there, I guess there is something to that, that it does unlock some parts of your brain to actually be somewhat creative. And, you know, and, I, and I'm not one of those people, I agree with you, that I don't really want to, I don't think I could do that. It, being out with friends and saying stupid little jokes and stuff is completely different. But trying to actually write a book on cocaine and alcohol, hmm, I'll see it. Mr. I know, I know Leonard Cohen uh, was, I can't remember what, but I saw a documentary on him and, and same story, you know, his novels before he kind of switched over to being songwriter and singer. Um, he was high the whole time on whatever they had. And he was living on a Greek Island and, you know, altered States. I think it was mushrooms and that kind of stuff. And that's where he came up with his ideas. But, you know, I, I don't know how many people can kind of do the sex, drugs and rock and roll thing and actually be productive. You know, <laughs> it's not for the vast majority of us. <laughs> there's outliers to everything in life, you know, and just yep. there's some people who can just, you know, I, I used to hate it. You know, you said you were in a gifted program, so you might be one of these guys that, you know, I remember going to classes and stuff and, you know, just racking my brain for a test or whatever. And thinking I studied all night for, especially when I took human anatomy, one of the it was hardest D I ever worked for in college, man. Like literally like going study groups, trying everything. And I could not test this time would come. I'd get like, you know, fail it obviously. But there was people who'd walk in there, didn't do shit. I, you know, they'd be telling me they're out the night before and you could smell the alcohol on them and ace it. What the heck, man? Like, and you know, and I get it, you know, I'm not this, you know, the sharpest old boy and the sharpest tool in the shed, but damn, you know, it's like, you know, I get so mad at them. It's like, man, it's funny because we all have different aptitudes. I mean, you you say human anatomy, and that was that was so hard for me. I didn't even kind of look at that until you know I was doing a, a career reset, going out of the you know 2009. I was in a small mortgage brokerage, and we had zero in sales. And the only way money was coming in is when somebody you know stopped paying their mortgage, and they're getting thrown out of their house, and there's some kind of finder's fee or collection fee or 
like it, it was brutal. And, you know, bench, I just end of that year, I just quit and said, okay, I'm getting serious. Um, and I got on a plane and went out to California and I started to learn cranial sacral therapy. And I had, I had learned it before, but there was a way to get an advanced training in it by this guy by the name of Hugh Milne, but it was all anatomy. I never felt so stupid <laughs> and so helpless. And so like, <laughs> So 2009, that was a recession, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I was in a subprime mortgage brokerage. And so, you know, remember that? That was, <laughs> remember subprime then? <laughs> so was the recession and that just part of like, hey, I'm going to go into psychotherapy now? Was that part of the reason why? Oh, I mean, I'd, uh, I'd been working part-time as a psychotherapist for 1997, I guess, graduated from university 1998 i taught first year psychology the one of my professors the one who i was mentoring with um went on sabbatical and i actually got that job uh kind of coolest and luckiest thing uh ever because i only had a bachelor's degree and there i was you know with uh master's phd students reporting to me it's like i was marking your papers last year you weren't that good you know it's like how'd you get this because <laughs> you didn't apply it's a 40 hour a week job of teaching and none of you wanted it you know <laughs> so it, it, it kind of created this kind of funny tension where people were definitely more educated than me um but i could teach you know so i was like really good at teaching i was not as good at doing psychology and i was never going to get kind of the research papers and grants that some of these other people did and they went you know much farther in psychology careers than i ever would have sure. um so talk about a long way to get to 2009 that's 98 so i'm learning you know kind of hands-on mentorship uh, there's kind of apprenticeship style things to being a therapist in those days i was doing it part-time and didn't quit my day job until the 2009 right because <laughs> there was no more day job anyway like zero sales in your commission-based company i mean it's, it's not working out right and so i, I went and learned a hands-on uh, therapeutic technique um it's all about you know effectively you connect via touch but you're connecting the human energy field to human energy field and bringing healing about that way so, so explain that so you know, like when you were do, like, so you were doing therapy on somebody, you would touch them in their hands and that's what bring the healing. Is that what you're saying? So cranial sacral therapy. I mean, I've been through a lot of therapies. Uh, we, we probably couldn't do this in the next five, six hours. So the number of things that I, <laughs> that I needed, I was a, I was a test case for a lot of people. Let me tell you, man, <laughs> but I'm much better now. <laughs> good. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's kind of cool. It's like, you know, I, I, I was kind of brilliant in this one sense and I had a lot of issues in this other sense. And but but was always curious, and always going forward. It's like, OK, so some really bad things happened to me and I'm going to find a way to get through it. And one of the things that I really needed, because my my body, I was just walking around in kind of a state of fear all the time. And craniosacral therapy it's you know cranial from cranium and then sacral for sacrum right it can take you back hope you don't get any ptsd as i'm saying these words and anatomy and so on right? so. Yeah. So <laughs> i see you starting to sweat there is you gonna be okay <laughs> again, but, oh my god 
not anatomy, man. Why do I gotta gotta end this interview? <laughs> you know, and I don't want to change any hold on to your thought, but you know, also I sat next to a really pretty girl in that class. And like every time I'd get my test, it was always a fail while she was getting B's, and I was like, God, and like we were so close, you could easily see I got an F. And like I remember her like say, saying, like, what do you, how do you think you did? And I was like, I did fine. I probably got like a you know a B or C and get it back, and it's like a 32. And a, damn it. <laughs> I got another F for fine, you know. <laughs> got a weird grading system. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, keep going on. Tell me. Yeah. A little- I mean, very, very simplest thing is um, you, you personalize down and you you hold their head. And what you can actually sense, and this is kind of crazy. So when we learn anatomy, typically we see, you know, we're using cadavers and the, you look at all the sutures in the skull and they appear to be fused. But a person who's still alive, those sutures are not fused and our bones are actually moving. Now it's in the level of microns, they measure it, and you know, you come up with like four microns or 15 microns. Those are tiny, tiny amounts. You can actually feel that movement with practice with your hands. People say, come on, you know, like it's like you can feel the person's body moving and the answer is yes, you can. So we actually have a subtle rhythm and you're just kind of, you're, you're feeling the back of their head, feeling the back of their head. You know, this is like step one and what you start to, you know, you kind of, sometimes you'll kind of entrain your breathing. So they're, they're breathing in a certain rhythm and you, you know, this is basic rapport stuff that we kind of do unconsciously a lot, but we start in that system, we do it consciously. And so you allow your, your breathing to fall in line with their breathing. And then you can start to see what's moving, what's not moving. If you had any kind of serious head trauma, you'll get uh, places that are not moving. And then other parts of the body are compensating because, you know, like something's happened up here um, from an old injury. Yeah. And you can actually bring the body. Uh, with a little bit of assistance. Um, and this is one of those things where you're using effectively the gentlest of touch. This is not like chiropractic where, you know, you're, if something's out of place, you push it back in, right. but it's in the same family. Do you have, does the person have to be in a certain state of mind when you're doing this to them or are you just telling yeah. them next and just, you know, think have an empty thoughts or whatever? Yeah. So I think, you know, most people that come in, um, come in the state of mind, well, this is bullshit, not going to work. So I think that's the, the place where you, everybody has to start. Right? But I feel like I'd be kind of like, stop touching my head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, um, but I mean, like, here's, here's kind of like that skepticism that you're talking about, like, that was me. And I was in a place of like, wow, I can only get so far and stuff always gets in my way. And then I got my consciousness like, oh, it's me getting in my way. And then, you know, learn some meditation things is like do a deep breath. And, you know, it goes down to like almost halfway down my chest is a deep breath. And it's like, people say, you know, belly breathing. I'm like, no, my belly doesn't move, man. I got abs of steel. I was like, yeah, those aren't abs of steel anymore. You know? <laughs> Maybe when you're 25, they were, but. <laughs> there seems to be a lot more research coming out about breath work. You know, James Nestor wrote a book called Breathe, and uh, I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago talking about 
she did kundalini yoga which was all about it was yoga but with breath work you know it was amazing yeah. but and he I always screw up his name i think it's wim hoffa or wig hoffa but he you know who that is he um i know jimmy i don't know this guy i think it's wig or wim I can't remember. all right but yeah but anyway he, his whole thing is he does these types of breath work seminars and exercises and he gets his body into a deep a different state or an altered state and like he he has a lot of different um guinnesses of world records for like swimming underwater in ice cold you know water for i don't know i guess miles or running in ice for basically butt naked just wearing a speedo but but that's what he's saying is that you know he's now i don't want to say he's unlocking dmt or anything because but it's something along those lines and i'm screwing it i'm butchering this really bad no pun intended i'm but uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah, but it seems like my point is that yeah, it seems like we're I don't like you know it seems like people are forgetting how to breathe nowadays because like you said, it seems like babies are able to breathe through their abdomens and stuff. But somewhere when we're getting older, that you know people forget how to breathe with their abdomen, so it goes in their chest, you know, and that's not really the correct way to breathe, you know. Yeah, and I mean you know if we're in uh, kind of panic states or. Um, you know, you get into these hyperventilations uh, situations and it's not good. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this in exercise. I don't know if you're training people yourself or you. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's there's kind of ways where we can do Valsalva and lift a little extra, but run the risk of, you know, an aneurysm or something where we hold our breath like we see in the, the power lifters in the Olympics. But for the rest of us, it's like super, super important to actually breathe while we're doing these activities. And you do kind of learn that, you know, there's, it's a powerful tool to kind of connect your whole body. And if you've been through anything difficult to connect your emotional reality into your physical reality, and then, you know, realize, oh, that's actually connected to my mental reality. And all of these things together are how I start to influence um, what I call my life. It's like the outer reality. These dots all connect. And, you know, the main way people are, are getting at it these days is breath. And then their voice starts to deepen. If you kind of like it's happening as, as we're talking here, we're both sort of relaxing as we're going into this conversation. I can hear my own voice kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and like we know that there's, um, you know, vagal response and there's uh, mirror neurons. Uh, so polyvagal theory, you probably had to run into vagus nerve again, more anatomy. Um, people can look up Deb Dana for like an easy intro to that. I won't go near it. But we know that, you know, mixed up with the fight, flight and freeze response, there is one nerve. It runs through most of the body and it governs heart rate. It governs digestion, flip of a switch, you know blood flow goes away from the major muscles, you know, like the legs, I mean, it goes away from digestion towards the legs uh, to do fight or flight. So to reverse that, you can do it through breathing. You can do it through other things too. I was learning it through that hands-on uh, technique of cranial sacral. There's a ton of other things. We have got all kinds of research on the value of massage um, and how much that can kind of change your personality for the better right really like actually change your personality yeah so um you know don't take my word for it uh tiffany field down in uh 
I think it's University of Miami. She's definitely in Florida. She's got the Touch Research Institute. She's getting up there now. So, you know, there's other people, people doing it. She's got, you know, all kinds of research that effectively says, you know, massage changes your physiology, which changes your personality. Do you think it's just because, you know, most people go to a massage just because, you know, they feel, you have muscle aches or, you know, they're feeling terrible with their body loss. But then afterwards they get out, they feel good and they're like, oh, I'm great again. I'm back at 100%. No worries. Or, yes. I mean, there's things like your sports massage, right? Where, hey, I've just had a hard game, you know, muscles are tight um, and you get something like that. It's a bit of a rub down. But then there's others that are much more therapeutic based. And she was doing, I see. Um, you know, holding premature babies and teaching mothers of these premature babies how to do infant massage and, you know, doubled the weight gain over just regular care in the IC in the NICU units. Interesting. Right. So touch means that much to us. And we forget about this. Like we forget we're biology. We like to think, oh, I'm this rational creature with these thoughts and I'm in control and, and I just got to figure it out. <laughs> but it's really not always that, that way, you know? I mean, you think you're in control or whatever, but then you come around a different path of life and then you're like, ooh, maybe, you know, something hits you and you're like, ooh, maybe I was not, you know, like a fight or flight thing like you just said. And you're like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's one of those things that, you know, you come up, it's like, Hey, if this ever happened, I'd probably be brave. And, you know, I, like a bear would come out and I'll probably take off and bite him and, you know, be no, no big deal. But it's actually like, then it comes down to it. And then you see the bear and you just instantly just, oh, I ain't messing with that bear. And you take off running. Yeah. Altering experience. You know, it's just. But that's why we train. I mean, whether it's fighting or the military, like we train and train and train and train so that we're in a life and death circumstance we act on habit, not on our natural physiological response to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's um, because the adrenaline hits like every fiber of your being is now vibrating. I'm going to die now. You know, sometimes we do that in other ways and certainly in, uh, you know, in high intensity exercise and CrossFit, you want to bring yourself up as close to that fight or flight response. You actually to to stimulate new growth. Yeah, I put it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. That, you, exhaustion. Exactly. Your body's now saying we're gonna die if I don't do this next rep. Right? <laughs> most part, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I try not to teach it for the most part, but yeah, I mean, that's where the competitive side of that comes in. Here is that you know you want to push yourself to those limits and find out. Hey, you know, I can actually, like you said, I can train, maybe not the day one, I can do this, but you know, after training this much, I know my limits and I know I could push myself, you know, a little bit further, you know, my, what is it? The mind gives out before the body does like your actual body will go a bit further if you just push it. But it's like your mind is saying like, nah, we're good here, bro. We don't have to keep doing this. You know, you're, you met your mats, but you know, if you push a little bit harder, you find uh, like, oh, you know, I can actually get myself to that next rep, you know, and I've actually can last a little bit longer in this workout rather than the first two minutes, you know? Okay. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm going to be the first one to say, yeah, safety first and so on. Like, um, if you're going to do exhaustion, you know, you drop the weights down so that you don't injure yourself mm-hmm. when you're truly exhausted, right? But But you think you can train the brain. So if you find these fight or flight modes that, it's always like you can 
know exactly what you're going to do right in that moment. Is that kind of what you're saying that I'm going to fight rather than flee? Well, I don't know if it's, uh, it's that straightforward, but what I'm kind of saying is, um, yeah, I might need to you know, this, is, this is like a trigger, right? So we, we definitely have like constellations of thoughts that, that sit on top and kind of cohabitate with sort of bodily states and emotional states. And so we always talk about, you know, like, oh, I've got these, uh, these tapes playing in my head, or I hear this certain voice. And, um, but that's usually going on with, you know, a feeling state. And there's also a bodily state to go with that. And this may sound kind of far out, but if you look at anybody who's an actor, they know just how to um, stand, what posture to hold, uh, what kind of facial expression. So usually they don't have to say a word. You're already like, whoa, this guy's like intense. Like something's going down. Like just look at how he's walking across that stage. Like, <laughs> we know that and we all can kind of feel that we don't talk about it much but all that information is conveyed and we you know we actually are, are pretty wired visually to pick up what's happening in musculature around the jaw you know so the obvious one is smiling in our culture but you know somebody's got a clenched jaw and we're kind of face to face we're going to be registering threat sure right sure and so I'm just saying, hey, like these kinds of things are more connected to our thoughts. And then we kind of realize we're sort of irrational, emotional, physical beings that are biology first with a little bit of humanity resting on top that we like to think is in control. <laughs> does, uh, does the subconscious play into effect in any of this? Yeah, yeah, you could say the subconscious. And I mean, there's, you know, Kahneman's talking about system one thinking, system two thinking. Um, I, I certainly learned, you know, the uh, Freudian system first, and that's a little bit dated. But, uh, you know, Kahneman kind of talks about most of us are, are much like a lawyer resting on top of the back of an elephant. And, you know, what you're describing as the subconscious is the elephant. It's deciding where to go. It's doing all the actions. And what we do after the fact is rationalize what all this behavior is we've just gone through in these decisions. What, what is the Freudian system you just spoke about? That's the, the conscious, um, conscious, subconscious. And then he did id, ego, and superego. There's a couple different ones along the way. So what do you mean by ego and superego? Like saying you have to have an ego to be a certain way or like to be, you know, cause I've always asked that, do you have to have an ego to be successful or. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to land. There's lots of answers to this one, but I'm going to land on the part of it's really good to have a healthy ego um, that is flexible enough to be set aside and dropped when necessary. Yeah. All right. So it's kind of like, you're going to have to have, enough to go and accomplish something you don't want to be in a state where you're deflated um, you have no ego um, to start with because you're going to hear a lot of things you know coming out of like the meditation self-actualization world is like okay you got to let go of ego it's like okay but first you have to develop and then you have to let go mm -hmm. well a lot of people's you know this like you know i was listening to mike tyson the other day and he I'm stealing this from him, but he was saying, you know, a person's ego could be that, you know, they, they learn to let go and that's just their ego right there. But they're still like, you know, 
you just beat somebody in a match and he's like, yeah, you go up, you go up to him and say, good fight, you know, good luck to you on your next stuff. You know, wish you all the success and your future endeavors, your future fights. And that's your ego. Instead of just being the alpha male who probably most people, I guess Mike Tyson probably was like this back in his younger days where he actually talks about, we might be getting off a little side tangent here, but I like this one. I, I used to watch his fights. So we're, we're okay. going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of his podcasts lately and just in, you know, I used to think of him as a, you know, I guess like you would think of a random stereotype jock, you know, he's probably just a fighter. He probably doesn't have well, well thought out thoughts. And, and I'm not saying I do by any means, but, um, but yeah, when you actually hear him talk, he's like, huh, where did you learn all that? You know, where did you get that? And he actually has this, I'm kind of lost my train of thought, but he has this conqueror's mentality um, in his, in his idea, in his brain that, and that's what he always wanted to be like, you know, like Genghis Khan and Alexander the Great. Like he, he goes off on all the history of all these great conquerors. And he's like, no, that's how I wanted my mindset to be when I entered the ring. And I think one of his documentaries, like when he's actually walking into the ring, like in the back, I think he's staying pretty calm and humble and, but when he gets up to the ring, he's like, as he's walking in, he, he's like, I am a God, you know, and starts thinking like that. Yeah. And then he goes into that mindset and I forgot the guy who trained him, but he's like a super philosophical, great guy too. And I can't remember his name off the top of my head, of course, right now. That's the motto and a couple yeah. other ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like after all Mike Tyson's fights and his knockouts, you know, he goes up to the guy and like hugs him or he was actually helping them up too. And I don't know if that was just part of his, nature and like that was kind of like i guess my point is this, his ego was like hey i'm a as he was calling himself a god but then he was kind of humble at the same time like hugging him and like you could tell like he was like there just which it could have been just all for show because then you know i guess you could argue that well he bit mike or uh, evander holyfield's ear so yeah <laughs> but, um but yeah but, yeah that, that was my point yeah that yeah that's part of it too I mean, it's a really fun thing. Like if you look at kind of Mike Tyson and, and some of those fights, he walked in, um, it was like one punch and fight ended. He was, he was looking to end those fights, you know, in 11 seconds. Cause he needed one to go over, you know, from his corner to the center and hit the guy. And like, <laughs> I mean, he was, he was an absolute wrecking ball. And it's funny. Like if you, if you think that there's, there's say a part of us, you know, like, that's like that like i don't know if, if you have um, i'm sure some people on on listening in maybe you but it's like i don't know if you ever had any rage where you've got like blackout rage or you know you kind of like uh you hear these words blind rage where you know you just you just can't even see yeah i've heard them and so like there's there's our biology taken over in a different sense than the fight or flight it's like from an emotional reality and we we've got legal terms around this you know it's like not in our right mind it's crime of passion like all those kinds of things right because there is an understanding our society but we need to train ourselves right to function inside polite society so in a boxing ring you just get that honed to its purest form to bring the opponent down. Yeah. But, you know, how do you, how do you go and like show up at dinner, you know, the next day and like go out on a date or like, you know, like you, you got to have a very different skill set, even though you're basically built to kill and destroy. I mean, is that just part? Yeah. I mean, no, this is part of human condition. Right. I mean, that, I mean, that kind of goes back to, you know, where we're talking about the old days, you know, that was 
how we got our food. You know, I was like, Hey, we have to go out there and actually hunt and fight for something. If we want to eat tonight, you know, it's mm-hmm. fit us almost. And the, gather some berries. Part of, I guess you could say in our evolutionary DNA. And it just stuck with us that, you know, some people have that mentality, like, Hey, I got to be the leader of the household. If our family wants to eat tonight, I got to go out there and get something. And, you know, with whatever tools I have, you know, but also, you know, um, be vulnerable and tender and, you know, kind and protector, right? Like in all of those kinds of things. I mean, is it hard for people to turn that on and off? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's real hard. Yeah, I do too. You know, most people uh, have those experiences and and we effectively, you know, we, we, we lose it, right? And they'll say, you know, what happened? Well, well, I lost it. You know, I was in the bar and this happened, that happened. Next thing you know, you know. <laughs> I've seen a couple of bar fights where, and you know, these were some of, I've never really, I've never been in a bar fight, but I had friends that were, and, you know, I was trying to be the guy that backed him up or whatever, but like you were talking about with blind rage and everything that, you know, you get heated in the moment and stuff, but then all of a sudden at the end of it, it was like one of my friends was like wanting to cry. Yep. Yeah. And it was just because it's like, Hey, what, what happened? You went from ballistic back to negative two and now you're crying, you know, and it's just, you're trying not to make fun of them, but you know, and then one day I think I actually got into one of those states where I got so mad. I think it was my brother and I got into a huge fight or whatever when we were younger, but I remember like just had no idea how to handle my emotions and I almost started crying. And I was, yeah. like, and he was like, Oh, now what's going on here? You know, like, why is this happening? And that's kind of what I, what I would say is kind of actually the, like a real sort of gateway to really changing and really knowing yourself as a person, right? So there's one of those things that's like a huge opportunity. You've lost it. Your personality is, you know, your ego is kind of gone. And then you've got this opportunity to say, I can put myself back together in a new way because I've got this information that, you know, like this beast that's inside of me can take over, but I need to make sure I'm running this show. Yeah. And, you know, and that's where that lawyer sitting on top of the elephant's going to start to tell a whole bunch of lies. Like, oh, it's, it's all good. you know. <laughs> and but we need to kind of start to integrate. There is a ton of power there. Right. Sure. Like that. That is just life energy at its purest. But you want to be able to direct it. It's almost like what we see in, in kind of origin stories and comic books it's like okay i got this superpower and now how do i start to tap into it right next point i was going to bring up that you know do we see you know issues that because people build up all this energy inside of it or can't get it out through you know fights or you know they have no way of exercise getting out of their system so it keeps building up building up and that's what causes other issues you know mental illnesses or any type of issue you want to say down the road for them. And it causes, you know, a, you know, a negative impact on their life just because they were, had, they had no way of getting this physical energy out of them that, yeah. Does that kind of make sense? What I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah. I think I'd push it a little further. It's like we start to walk around in a certain habit um, because every single day is actually a choice, right? So if I wake up and, you know, I go to a job that I don't really like and I'm getting a little bit bullied by the boss or some coworkers, and you know i take that personally i keep going i do the same thing the next day and i do the same thing the next day i'm walking around in a particular posture like i'm actually you know cutting a silhouette through the universe 
here's me doing this thing day after day. And it's not like, you know, I'm a, I'm a pressure cooker and I blow, like I'm a human that's creating a habit. I'm becoming a master, but not in a very good way. And I'm becoming a master at being a victim of my own circumstance. And so, yeah, you know, we could kind of pathologize this and say, well, that's a mental illness or this is that. And, you know, my whole point of what I like to do with people is say, let's catch that before it becomes a disaster. And, you know, like the bar fight happens or the car crash happens or the DUI happens. Right. Because there are ways to really be a different person. That's why I like the coaching model saying, you know what, you have choices here. How are you using yourself? And sometimes it's learning communication skills. Sometimes it is learning to, you know, go to either the, the regular gym or the dojo or the boxing ring or like, like sometimes, sometimes it's serious stuff, right? But there's ways to learn to be a better you so that you don't kind of continue down that same pathway where you're not getting anywhere, where you're a victim to your own life. Do you ever have people when, like, you know, you said the coaching model that they just don't. They want to be helped, but they don't want to be helped. You know, they don't want to unlock anything. They don't want to open up and, you know, they don't, they just, they feel like everything's okay, but they kind of deep down, they know it's not okay. And Sure. And, you know, it's, I mean, there, there's kind of different ways to, to look at that and do that. And you kind of have to have one of those reality tests sometimes often. Okay. Like, what are you doing here? You know, what was that thing that you said that you wanted? How important is it to you? Um, You don't have to open up. You don't. You don't. But you got to do the work of living your life. That makes sense. All right. That makes sense. You know, well, I mean, how, how, how many people want to, you know, come and like start to cry more or start to this, like, so that's cathartic. It can be fantastic. But if you've got something really, you know, ongoing in your life and you don't know how to change it yet, and you feel like you're beating your head against a brick wall, um, sometimes just, just, you know, opening up isn't going to solve that. You actually need to have some tools to uh, usually it's take a step back, get a, get a larger perspective and then approach it differently. But we all hit walls of some sort. And, you know, it can be like, you know, in training, we call it, Hey, I've hit a plateau. And, you know, if you train and train and train, you're in a plateau and you start to train harder, you you can kind of go backwards. Mm -hmm. It's like, Ooh, got to implement a little bit of a rest in here. Yeah, you know, life, I think everyone expects life, you know, to have shortcuts and want it to be easy and get everything they want the way they want it, when they want it. And, you know, just kind of what you said, you know, if you don't do the work or if you don't, you know, go out there and I guess chase what you want to happen, then it's not going to happen, you know, and some people, you know, they don't, they don't like change and, you know, they don't, you know, they like I kind of said earlier, they think everything's okay, but they kind of are in this negative comfort zone and they don't, mm-hmm. they don't, and they don't want to get out of it. And so, but then, you know, they find 45 different reasons to blame everybody but themselves. And, and, you know, I think once they, and, you know, and I'm generally speaking, of course, and 
And once they figure out that, hey, you know, maybe me sit around and take a look at some things, hey, it's kind of my own fault as a reason that I'm not where I wanted to be and or haven't reached my goals yet. Or maybe I should stop hanging out with a bunch of, you know, people like Stephen King drinking alcohol and <laughs> snorting. <laughs> yeah, that bastard got a best-selling book. And you know what I got from being near him? <laughs> a rehab stint, you know? <laughs> He's a terrible friend. <laughs> but yeah, so, but yeah, and they kind of blame it. Well, it's her fault that, you know, I didn't. Well, a case like that, it is, but you still can't go near him anymore. <laughs> I didn't wrote that book, you know, but I did. But I was too busy still, you know, with cocaine, I guess. But yeah. I kind of lost track of what I was going with my point, but. Uh, well, it, no, I mean, it was, it was really clear. It's like, you know, you've got 45 different reasons. You don't want to change. You're not able to change. Like sometimes we do need uh, some outside sources to be that positive influence. Um, you know, one of the things in my book is, is kind of saying, Hey, let's use some of these old stories like mythology. Right. And we have to kind of get to a point of readiness where something happens, something goes wrong. And then we start to open up and say, all right, okay, now I'm willing to make this change because it's just so painful. I can't, I can't do it the old way anymore. Like you almost hit bottom. What's that? You almost hit rock bottom or something. And then you decide like, hey, now I got to change. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'd love for people not to do rock bottom. I, I grew up with say Star Wars, right? Oh, yeah. And so, so Luke's trying to get off the planet and his uncle says, sorry, son, sorry, you know, nephew, but son, uh, you gotta, I need you for the crops this year. You can't just go flying off and join the rebellion. And, you know, R2D2 and C3PO are there. He has to follow them with the message for, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So he meets the guide. He actually meets the person who can change him from this victim of my uncle never lets me do anything right? There's the blame. There's the, there's the youth. He's doesn't really know how to do much. He's got big dreams. That's it. And it's not until, you know, the, the stormtroopers come and kill his aunt and uncle that he's willing to say, Hey, I'll go on that adventure. I'll take that step. I've got nothing left. And I'm absolutely desperate. You know, I'll go do your crazy journey with you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's transformation and that's when he engages in learning and he, he's got to let go of his old life right oh. and his excuses could have gone forever if like those terrible things didn't happen and this is you know i think george lucas borrowed off of um uh, joseph campbell and you know got a bit of consulting there is like what makes those old stories work like we were talking earlier on in the episode where we sit around the fire and we've got the the storyteller like that's just ripped off from some of those old stories of how to do it right. You said, you said in your book, you're using mythology Are you using, you go back to Greek mythology or. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of Greek mythology there. Um, it's, you know, the point is some of what I just said to you, you know, keeping it on a high level here of like, you know, there is this structure in a myth of, of the hero's quest and, and there's actually other ones, but you know, that's, that's, the one of transformation for sure. But yeah, I borrow a little bit from uh, Arthurian. Um, It's funny, you know, I didn't actually know uh, two of the myths when I started writing the book. Which 
so there was um, Chiron um, in the middle of writing the book and, you know, talk back and forth with the editor and we had a lot of content. You're like, this isn't tying things together. It's, you know, and uh, I had a friend, she lives in Florida and she was one of the people in the training with craniosacral therapy. She's highly intuitive and sends me a text and uh, she says, are you okay? Said, yeah, great. I'm writing this book. And, you know, if you asked me a few months ago, I would have said maybe a little lonely and possibly depressed or something, but I got a mission again. I got a purpose. I got a reason. That, you know, it's really exciting. Yeah. And she says, no, 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 I'm not getting that. I'm getting, he says, I'm going to have to call you. How about tomorrow? I said, okay, you know, well, I'm, I'm home all the time. So. <laughs> so we're talking a little bit. I'm saying this, saying that. And she said, I'm just, you got to hear about this thing, Chiron. And I'm like, what's that? And he says, well, what do you mean? What's that? It's like, you know, you, you had this trauma stuff and you spent, you've dedicated your life to healing people. Um, once you let go of the day jobs. Like, this is, this is you. And I was like, I never heard of this guy. Well, of course he's in like all the, all the movies after that. So he's a, a centaur. Okay. Right. And, um, talk about having a blind spot. Like I had watched movies and this character was in it and sure. I hadn't read the Greek myths with him in it, but you know, he was, he was, you know, of course it's a Greek mythology. So, um, it's a step before Zeus, the Titans, is it? The original one? The Titans are above Zeus, yeah. Yeah, so um, anyway, you know, his father, of course, takes on the, the body of a horse, rapes his mother, you know, the child's repulsive because he's born half horse, half man, right? Yeah. But he isn't raised with the other centaurs, he's raised to learn medicine, music by the other Greek gods. And he becomes a healer. Now he actually gets wounded by Hercules, who's there for healing, has already killed the Hydra, accidentally shoots him with an arrow, and he's mortally wounded, but because he's immortal, he lives this life of absolute pain, and he's searching, always searching for a cure for his own pain, finds cures for many, many, many people and helps them, but lives this life of agony. Mm. And he's finally released by cutting a deal to free. Now I can't even think about my own topic in my own book. This is beautiful. Talk about making mistakes. <laughs> this one's epic. That's the reason I'm like, let's say that right. Is that right? I'm pretty sure it's right. <laughs> <laughs> the names I'm missing of the Greek gods that are in the book. Please read the book because then you'll hear the right version. <laughs> no spoilers here. We're just testing the readers. Uh, we don't give away. <laughs> I'm failing my English test again, man. It's like <laughs> this is like high school over again. <laughs> my friends, you I've had on here a couple of times. But, you know, it's like we were talking off air, and I was like, man, I get on there and we start talking, and I feel like I forget everything I've ever been taught in my whole life. Then yeah. I don't know what it is. It's like, do I actually know stuff or I just over here making shit up out of, you know, off the blue. But it was like, no, he's like, that happens to me too, man. Just you start talking and it's just like stuff slips my mind, like custom auto. Like I was like, I could not remember him. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Well, I got custom auto for you. So that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> we picked each other up. <laughs> like you said, like I said earlier, we got a little dance going. We're helping each other, bouncing off each other. But, um, but the whole point of that was like, here's, here's a, like a, a central theme in my own life. And 
I didn't know what was going on. I'd been hurt. I'm healing others. And I'm kind of, I hit 50 and it turns out, you know, there's, there's a, a comet and it's in retrograde right now is it going backwards in the sky. And this myth of Chiron right now is when you're at age 50 is there's a time um, you look up on astrology websites. This is a time where people at that age actually kind of can go into a state of reflection. So I've got this coincidental thing in astrology happening, this myth, a person I haven't talked to in about three years saying, I have to text you right now or something really important. It's this whole thing that's my life story in a sense, and a mythological story, you know, my, my journey. And I didn't know about it, but I needed that piece of information and that story. I was like, oh, this is what this guy was doing. This is how he actually kind of, you know, had tragic beginnings, found a way to raise out of like that animal nature and unify that uh, horse's body, human upper half, torso, head, arms, but learned music and medicine and healing. And you needed that kind of what could be that rageful and all those kinds of really crass things with the humanity and made a really, really incredible um, life. And me going into, I like to call it the second half here, I have a whole opportunity to, to learn that myth and really take the deep learning out of like a really couple thousand year old story, three, four thousand years old, probably. You know, or am I going to just scroll through Instagram and look for my answers? <laughs> I don't think that's the best way to do anything. <laughs> you know, if it's on the internet. It's probably true is what they say, right? But um, well, that's it, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, you can get on there and go down to some real weird rabbit holes, like you know, look up hashtag space is space fake, <laughs> or yeah. yeah. So yeah, one of those weird ones and. You don't think space is fake, do you? I hope I didn't offend you by saying that. No, man. I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, anybody out there? I'm sorry, but yeah. If uh... I was, yeah, no, no. I believe in the lunar landing. I was hoping for bigger things coming out of the UFO files, and you know, not much happened there because I had a. Well, I have a friend, and he was in Costa Rica, and you know, he swears, and no reason to lie to me, but he saw you know these lights coming towards him it's like all right how much did you drink like what was this no man it's like yeah i know it's me and all and he said but we're all on a beach there's a bunch of us and we saw these lights come towards us they got bigger and bigger and then they flew off in the opposite direction out of sight he says they're ufos he says i know they're real and he's he's like building me up and he's like it's all coming out it's all coming out and nothing. <laughs> I have a friend that was on here, you know, way back when I first started podcasting. And I think he's from Costa Rica or Puerto Rico. And I can't remember which one now, but he had almost the exact same story that I think he was little and they were on some big hill plane or something. And all of a sudden these lights just came out of nowhere and, you know, they just kind of hovered above him and everything. It was like him and a group of friends and all of a sudden vanished. And he's like, I swear. And he said the same thing. I swear they're real. I swear, I yeah. saw, you know, and then yeah. Yeah, just like, you know, I don't know. It's fun to believe in. Do I really believe in it? Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I don't know. I mean, I, I've never, you know, do you know who Dan Aykroyd is? Oh yeah. Okay. And like, you know, he's got a couple uh great ghost stories and alien stories, how he had some kind of 
a ball of light kind of following him around at a hotel in Minnesota or something. And which, wow. yeah, he's got some wild ones. And like he actually, uh, I think he actually slept with a ghost, or <laughs> it was, it was something along those lines. I might be missing. This. Yeah, it was like, are you, are you just doing this because of Ghostbusters or? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a movie in the franchise coming out. You're bringing this yeah. out now, right? Like, <laughs> years ago when he was saying this, so I guess it's pretty real. But yeah, so I was like, you know, there's got to be something out there. You know, now that, you know, now the government's kind of getting in on it and they're releasing files. And I forgot what just happened a couple of weeks ago, but there was something about they released even more stuff about like pregnancies and things like that. But nobody, it was like nobody cares. You know, all the, all this talk, all this time and like, it's not bigger news or bigger events. And uh, it's, people don't I mean, if they're building it up and there was a documentary on PBS and I watched it and, you know, it's the big things are coming and they were apparently not that big. Yeah. Whatever's in the files, you know? So I wonder if it's just this overhype, you know, they found a couple things, but it's kind of like, eh, well, we don't, know. we don't know. But, you know, there's a guy, Commander Fraber, you know, he was a, something in the air force, a big time Colonel, or I always forget the ranks, but he actually claims he saw it. He calls it a Tic Tac. And, you know, it was something that was, just, had no physics of this earth. Like, you know, the way it moved and went up and down, it was like signal jamming, signal jamming, like his radar. And like, that, apparently that's an act of war and yeah. do that. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, they have it on video and it's it literally and like, all of a sudden it just went into the ocean that came out and it was gone. Right. Now there's like some beliefs out there. Oh, there's some stuff. They're in the ocean. You know, they're very, because you know what? We've only explored, but like 10% of the ocean. Well, I haven't, but you know, <laughs> humans, but yeah. I always hate it when I say we, it was like, I didn't do it. <laughs> you can you can claim part of it. You're part of the human race, right? We're all, we're all in it together. <laughs> Talking to sports fans, like, man, we lost that game last night. And it's like, well, I don't think you lost it. Did you play? I mean, were you just yelling at the TV? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I don't know how it's going to go, but it's like the Raptors not doing. There's a lot of people up here saying, "Man, we lost that right now. <laughs> We're supposed to be winning." <laughs> Mike, let's let, let's take this one home, man. Before we start getting too uh, conspiracy theory here on alien. Oh yeah, but um, and time flies. Yeah, yeah dude. Uh, dude, this was fun. This was a great conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, if people want to find the book, find you, all that good stuff. How do they do that? Uh, michaelhines.ca and uh, the book is on amazon.com and here hold it up that's the myth guided mind for anybody who's actually you know watching the youtube version unleash your god-given genius at working at home and um, probably the busiest place i am uh, social media would be uh, linkedin so you can find me on there and by all means connect that's michael hines h-y-n-e-s not like ketchup <laughs> thanks again man. this was fun we really appreciate it. Great meeting you, Chris. You too. All right, everybody, we're out of here. Uh, good news and good night. <laughs> <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 